The Church Media Podcast, episode 135, Fire Up Your Creative Team with Andrew Johnston, part two. Let's do it. Hey there. Welcome to the Church Media Podcast. The definitive podcast for helping you create dynamic experiences and build solid media production teams at your church. We're bringing you knowledge and insight from top media professionals from around the world. Useful, practical content in the areas of live production, design, leadership, digital communications, and more. The show notes for this episode and all archive episodes of the show are available online now at the Church Media Podcast. Podcast.com. And now, broadcasting from the ministry headquarters of 1230 Media, here's your host, church media coach, Carl Barnhill. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Carl. If you are a last minute, like most churches, and haven't gotten all your content together for Easter yet, I want to encourage you to head over to our ministry website, 1230.media. We have a nice selection of Easter mini movies, packs, series boxes and more for you to check out. Our series boxes for Risen is still crazy popular and our brand new boxes Death Could Not Hold Him, Journey to the Empty Tomb and Final Words, Sayings of a Savior are very cool. Be sure to check those out. 1230.media forward slash Easter for some great Easter worship media. And guys, our online worship media library has been as it's only been cranking for about a year now. Our bread and butter is is custom media. That's what most churches come to us for. But we are one of the we're one of the top providers for custom media content for churches in the nation, which is absolutely humbling and incredible. So be sure to check both of those things out on our website, the worship media side, and then uh, custom media as well. All that's at twelve thirty dot media. We're adding worship media to our library as fast as we possibly can. We're releasing about one new product per week. Uh, So one fresh mini movie pack box or song video every week. So keep coming back to the store as there's much more to come as we grow that section of our ministry. This week on the show, my discussion with Andrew Johnston continues as we walk through his book, Fired Up, Kindling and Keeping the Spark in Creative Teams. This is a must-have book for any creative leader. Part two with Andrew Johnston is coming right up. First, I want you to check out this audio trailer for the movie Paul the Apostle coming to theaters this weekend. A great film to take your team to go see. Check this out. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Paul, Apostle of Christ, now playing. This is an exclusive interview from the Ministry of 1230 Media. Here is church media coach, Carl Barnhill. Okay, so let's move to to margin. You talk about margin in your book. This is something I, I really struggle with, honestly. Um, as a creative, uh, we like to go consistently and plan our days to the brim. I plan my day out like really specifically, um, and then I get frustrated when I can't hit those. So it almost sounds counterproductive in theory to take uh, stuff off of your to-do list, but that's exactly what you suggest 
um, to do sometimes, right? Flesh, flesh that out yeah. for us. Well, I actually suggest two two things about this. One is to take some things off your to-do list, and that, that sounds crazy. But I think the one that sounds even crazier is I, I want to suggest that you add some things to your to-do list to find more margin. So maybe the, maybe the first thing to do is to just identify the fact that margin's important to us. It's, it's not just important to our sort of emotional and physical well-being, our, our stamina. It's important to creativity. Uh, because if, if we don't have margin, and, and maybe it's worth circling back even to say what we mean by margin. Um, yeah. well, margin is, is the amount of the hole that's unused. You know, it's the area of the paper around the edge that you haven't written on. Or um, I, I think I, in the book I use an example of the fact that every time I go to get a cup of coffee at um, my local coffee place, they always ask me if I want room and, of course, they mean, do I want some room for cream? And I always say, no, I don't, mainly because I just want more coffee. Um, but after I get my coffee, I always turn around and put cream in it. Um, and I fill it up, you know, right up to the top. I always feel like I've achieved some sort of victory if I can even get it. The surface <laughs> tends to be a little above the edge of the cup. <laughs> and, you know, of course, at that point, I always end up spilling it, making a mess and all sorts of stuff. Uh, because it it just... I don't know why. I don't seem to grasp that the, the functional capacity of my cup is less than the finite capacity of it. So it's really, for all functional purposes, full before I've used up every bit of it. And I think that's what we're talking about when we talk about margin. We have to start thinking of, of our creatives um, or even of our own schedules as we are, we are optimally full long before we've used up every minute in our day. Um, and to the extent that we continue to fill up those minutes, we actually see diminished returns. It starts to degrade other things. So I, part of that is our resilience. You know, when we're over full, we start breaking down just as a, a human machine. When we're over full, our creativity suffers because we start managing ourselves to be as efficient as possible. And, you know, try as we might, really creativity is not an efficient process. If if we want to be efficient, we try to make sure that we rule out any unnecessary activity. We, we try not to chase any ideas that aren't going to pan out perfectly. And ultimately, we just we stay pretty close to all the things we've done before because they're the surest bets. Well, you can see how very quickly creativity shuts down in, in that regard. So this lack of a mar- margin actually hurts us in terms of our, our resilience and in terms of our creativity. And um, honestly, if, if, when we lack margin, we have a tendency to, to slice the pie thinner and thinner. But what I mean by that is if you're already fully subscribed and that more things come your way, even great opportunities, you've got nothing left to, to subscribe to those. You just have to take what you've already subscribed and slice it thinner. So eventually, you're not really doing anything fully or wholeheartedly. You're doing everything just enough to manage it and keep it moving. And that's a recipe for disaster for creatives because very quickly you can be very productive and you can be unenthusiastic about everything that you're doing. I mean, you're putting your signature on all sorts of things that you're not proud of, and that's that's a recipe for disaster in your team. So let me ask you something. This might be way too detailed or... Or minute, but let, let me throw this out. So when it comes to margin, should I plan margin in my day? 
or in my week? Or should I not plan as much on my day? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess I would say you don't have to choose one or the other. Let's go with both of those. But in practice, it usually, for me at least, is that I have to be a champion of margin because my life is more than big enough to entirely consume my margin. So I have to be the champion for margin and actually start by planning in some space. Um, And in my case, it's not so much planning space in my calendar as setting up sort of boundaries and protections for it. Um, You know, I I don't just fill my calendar. My calendar chases me. Mm -hmm. And so I used to leave the office, and I'd have a pretty full calendar, but I'd leave the office and head home. And, you know, it didn't quit. I'd keep getting phone calls, you know, and I'd be taking phone calls in the car as I got home. And so I, I use the term in the book of building a levee, in other words, to kind of keep the flood of things at bay and protect some area. And so, you know, I had certain rules and boundaries that I planned in. Not only did I try to manage my calendar, but I had to come up with some personal rules and boundaries to keep it from encroaching. So, for instance, my boundary was a particular exit on the highway on my way home that um, I, would, I told myself I'm not going to take work phone calls south of that exit. From that exit to my home was another about 10 minutes. And I started to protect that to kind of make the transition into husband and dad mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know. I tried to stick to that. I, I would not take uh, calls after that. Occasionally, I would pull off on that exit and sit in a parking lot until I finished the phone call so that I could stick to my, my boundary. Um, more than one person on my staff heard me say at some time or another, hey, I'm, I'm coming up on Concord Road, so we need to finish this up. Mm-hmm. So when you ask that, I would say one of the most important things, you know, even after you look at your actual scheduling, is to to create some boundaries that keep the encroaching extras out of your out of your life. Hmm. That's real good. Okay, let's talk. Hey, can I mention one? Yeah. Can I mention one other thing? Absolutely. That I think surprises people, but yeah. it's relating to margin. Is that not only should you take things off your list and create this sort of these boundaries, but you know, I really encourage people to put the right things on their to do list. Right. Be, because uh, you know, when we suffer for for margin. It's not necessarily how much we're doing. It, it has to do with what percentage of the whole of our lives is devoted to work and the things that we must do. So sometimes um, you might look at your schedule and you might recognize that you're suffering under what I call in the book the, the season of the fire hose, where you're just kind of standing there trying to drink from a fire hose. There's so much going on. And you might think, you know, I really can't take any of these things off my to-do list right now. Well, I would encourage you to put something on your to-do list that's related only to your personal life. Like you're spending all your time serving um, your church, serving the needs of your staff, um, serving the, the issues that come up at work, and it's eating your lunch just because your whole life is serving something else. It can make you feel a lot better and give you some margin if you just put something on your to-do list that's only about you and yours. My example of this was, you know, I, I was getting up in the morning, hurrying to get dressed and rush off to work so that I could get work done, and then I'd come home at night as usual. And this happened over and over until I realized that I kind of flipped the polarity, and it was like, 
I was at work all day, and home was just this place I tagged up to now and then. And that's the wrong way to look at it. So I added things to my to-do list where every day before I went to work, I did some chores at home. I handled some of my own stuff there. So I tried to kind of remind myself that, no, home was my center, and work was a place I went for a while every day, even if it was a long while. I just want to encourage people not just to think that they can handle the effects of of a lack of margin by taking things off their to-do list and creating boundaries. Sometimes it's about putting the right things on their to-do list and making sure that they've committed their time to the things that fuel them as well. Right. I've had to do that. Um, Just put personal things on my to-do list. Um, also, too, it's it's a sense of uh, achievement, too, and it's a sense of, okay, I'm not forgetting the things that are important. Like, it's not just about checking off work stuff. Uh, I actually get to check off everything that's important to me. Or, or Absolutely. The, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Let, let's move to a, a wonderful subject of politics. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you mean you have some of those in the church? <laughs> what? What? You're crazy. Um, okay, so let, let's dive into that. So um, what if I'm in a church and the politics of my uh, situation, my church, plays a major role in the team that I serve? Like, how do I navigate? Um, why do politics and creativity not uh, play well together? <laughs> I guess is what I'm, what I'm asking. Yeah, no, I think that that makes uh, good sense because, I, you know, honestly— we can spend a lot of time rolling our eyes and and being upset about politics, but you you just can't escape politics. In mm-hmm. my experience, I mean, politics are part of anywhere that you have people working together. Because what I mean by politics is sort of the interpersonal influence, the the way that we use credibility as sort of our currency to to get things done. Um, I think politics are one of those things that we could spend a lot of time saying, you know, we wish there wasn't as much of them or we'd like to avoid them, et cetera. But I find that politics is part of pretty much any place that people are doing collaborative work together, because what I mean by politics is that it's the it's sort of the the interpersonal influence we're trying to to muster to get things done. So we're always trying to kind of create enough credibility and use it as currency to move forward. And that's not a bad thing. That's just the way uh, organizations work, and te- creative teams are are just the same. But politics is especially um, ill suited to creativity because ultimately, politics is a is an economy of compromise, where you give a little to get a little, and that sort of thing. And Compromise has never been a particularly good way to achieve extraordinary creative results. You want you want people to be able to go all in and and to kind of take some some big risks and not worry about how they're going to curry favor or please someone else. If you want them to be able to explore the most creative or innovative routes, so what I try to encourage leaders to do is to to protect their teams as much as possible from uh, from politics so that that doesn't essentially um, kind of dampen the, their creative fire. It also protects them from maybe information that would affect their uh, view of others or view of ministry or whatever. I found myself sure. in that setting somewhere. Um, you know, they don't really need to, sometimes the team doesn't really need, it would taint the waters if I shared some of the politics that were going on. Um, now now sometimes the reverse is true. Sometimes the more knowledge they have, the more ownership they feel. 
but I think there's a dance there. Do you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think you should necessarily protect your team from understanding um, what's important right. or even what's what needs to be achieved and all, but um, you don't necessarily want them weighing which sort of coalitions they want to be part of and exactly. how they're going to lean one way or another. You want them to be able to kind of, as much as you can preserve it, you want them to be kind of pure and wholly uh, committed to what you're trying to accomplish, not who you're trying to please. Right, exactly. Um, Okay. I I would say this, though. You know, I think think that makes it especially hard on leaders. I don't want to just suggest that that's an easy thing because what that really means is that leaders of creative teams – have to be good politicians. Yeah. Um, if you're going to protect your team from the impact of that, that means that you, you've got to have some skills. You've got to be able to play politics and um, be able to please the right people to maintain your own credibility and, and the currency of your team without having to drag all your people into it. And sometimes I interact with leaders who want to say, look, I'm, I'm above all this. I'm not going to play the game. And, yeah. you know, my short answer to that is if, if you don't play the game, you're not going to be around for very long and you're not going to do your team any good. And the game it's exists that, in every church. Yeah, go ahead. Say that again. Tom. I was going to say the game exists in every church. Absolutely. And every organization. In every church, every organization. And the game itself isn't the issue. It's how you play it and to what end. And so you certainly want to be ethical and you want to be appropriate. And if you're going to be a leader – you have to have some political acumen. That has to be in your repertoire. But if you're going to be the leader of creatives, part of the way you use that is to protect their space to create and to try to create one that's free of those things so that they can, they can move forward without worrying about currying favor and instead can come up with something that's just an extraordinary accomplishment. Yeah. Okay, let's move to the second part of the triangle of fuel. Um, give us some context into what fuels a creative team or or what doesn't fuel a creative team. Yeah, I, well, there's all sorts of things that you, we could talk about here in, in my book. It, I kind of uh, bring that down to talking about the fact that they need um, a sense of purpose, um, meaning that we're creatures of conviction and we need purpose to run on. So we need to tell them why they're doing things and keep that visible even when they're getting overwhelmed with the minutia of it. Um, I talk about power because um, if people don't feel like they have the ability to actually impact something, or if you as a leader are inadvertently kind of um, taking up all the power yourself, then you'll find that their their flame starts burning pretty bright, but it quickly consumes the fuel and it goes out again. I talk about um, trust because the relationships and, and the fact that they can depend on one another, know one another, is essential to keeping it burning. Um, I mentioned fun is another one. I, I think sometimes people overlook that, but creatives especially need a, a sense of fun um, and uh, humor and joy. Uh, that That's not just decorative. That's something that, that fuels them when the demands of being creative actually wear them down. And then the final one I mentioned already in our conversation is, you know, they, they need courage in that they need to, to be free of fear if you want them to keep burning brightly without burning up or burning out. So those are some of the things I mentioned anyway in the book. So you talk about, and, and I love this because I've, I've kind of coached and consult on this very topic some, and that is when you become a leader, you stop being a doer. Um, so, uh, uh, 
there is a challenge when I'm talking with teams of how to make that transition and how to kind of walk them through, hey, it, it doesn't mean that if you stop doing, you're going to lose your job or that you're not <laughs> valuable anymore. Actually, you become a lot more valuable because you're leading others that were doing what you used to do. And now multiply that times the 10 people that you're bringing up um, or whatever. Yeah. Walk, walk me through that transition in your eyes. Well, I just think this is something that trips leaders up in every context, but it's especially um, pertinent, I think, to the creative world and the creative world in the, in the church. And that's that um, doers and leaders have to understand their roles. They have very different perspectives on things like like power in particular. Um, that's because doers are known by their direct impact on the results, and leaders are known by their indirect impact. And what I, what I mean by that is, you know, when you're a doer, you're known for being able to provide the answers and being able to roll up your sleeves and do whatever it takes. I mean, you personally get in there and you do it, and it's your own talent, your own ability, influence, knowledge, et cetera, that distinguishes you as a great doer. When you're a leader, um, you might discover that some of those go-to doer habits and dispositions don't serve you as well. In fact, sometimes they're even liabilities because when you're a leader, it's about being able to enable others to have a direct impact. And so, you know, if you roll up your own sleeves and get busy, if you dive in personally, more often than not, you're stealing that opportunity from somebody on your team. And it won't feel bad to you because chances are you are a pretty great doer at some point. That's that's how you won the right to be a leader. Um, especially in the creative field, you're, you're often distinguished because you have some particular ability. You have got mad technical skills. You're the, the master of pro presenter or something of that sort. And so that's allowed you to step into leadership. But now it's not just that you're in a new office or have a new title. You've got to really think from an entirely different vantage point. Uh, when you're, if all goes well, when the smoke clears, you're, the outcome, uh, you know, a great Sunday or a great product is going to have the doer's fingerprints all over it. But if you're the leader, your mark is on the doers, not on the outcome itself. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, th this is kind of random, but I promise I'm getting somewhere. Is So I watch a lot of movies, and I watch a lot of, like, the behind-the-scenes stuff on movies. And um, I think – I want to say it was, like, Tim Allen or someone. I was watching uh, something on him and uh, how he would used to go in and, uh, like, between scenes or whatever, help the grips with the lighting and, and help them move things around. And at first it was like, oh, wow, this big movie star is helping me – uh, or, or is is not thinking that he's a diva and getting in and, and working hard with us. But it almost sometimes had the reverse effect in that it was, uh, you're, you're taking my, this is my joy. This is what I come to work to do. This is what I'm doing, and you're taking my job away from me. Um, yeah. And so I think yeah. there's a challenge there of it, sometimes a leader just needs to lead and not necessarily get in, even though it's sometimes cliche that, yeah, the leader can roll up the sleeves and get in there with me, which I think sometimes is needed, but I think sometimes it's better for the leader to uh, coach, train, cheer on, organize, whatever, the doers um, to get the job done. Do you have any thoughts on that? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think you've expressed it really well. My own moment like that was when I first became um, the chief student affairs officer in university, and I, I went to an event, and I showed up a little early, and um, I was helping set up a few folding chairs, and then I noticed that some fruit had fallen out of the refreshments, and I was picking up some piece of melon or something, and one of my assistant deans walked up to me and said, will you stop that? And I said, well, what do you mean? Because, frankly, I thought I was being pretty cool. And she said, we do not want our, our associate provost picking up cantaloupe. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I just thought I'd help out. And she said, no, these people have got this, and you're making them really nervous or making them feel like they're not moving fast enough. Right. And it's and not boy, that you're not beneath I, I, I had to learn a hard lesson because at that point, you know, I was still thinking like a doer and feeling like, you know, I'm going to touch these things and do this. And, and I thought it would be a, a good message to send to people. But, you know, if I'm really honest – it was more about me, and it made me feel productive and me feel good to do things. And, you know, sometimes I think that's what it takes in leadership. I mean, the, the, the hard part of leadership is often not the doing, it's the, it's the not doing. Right. Because you came out of a doer position where you were always instinctively going to dive in and do whatever it took. And now to be a good leader, you've got to actively sit on your hands or empower your people and sort of back away, I, kind of the way I often put it is that if, if you want your people to step up and take care of business, as a leader, your job is often to step back and take care of them. Right. And until you can kind of think about that differently, it's, it's hard to do. I do think there's a balance there because, let me give you an example. So I, I would direct the cameras, uh, like direct a worship experience with cameras and switcher and pro presenter and everybody. I would kind of be the one calling the the shots. Um, I had right. to, I had to purposely come in to the last church I, I served full time at, and purposely say I am not going to do this for a while so that I can lead people up. However, I did want to make sure that I did it every once in a while, so I had credibility to lead other people. So I think there Absolutely, is a balance yeah. there of I want to do occasionally so I can build some cred to so they know that I know what I'm talking about. But on the flip side. Uh, you know, I I think you're right in that the challenge sometimes is the not doing. I just think there's there can be a, a, that's a struggle for a leader to find that balance. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, let me mention one thing. I'll tell you a story of how I had to learn that. But um, one one thing I would encourage uh, all leaders to do, and I think you're totally right, is that you want to demonstrate to everybody that look, I get this. Um, I can empathize with the challenges you face and all, and I've got some skills, so I'm respectable. That all makes sense. Um, but, you know, one way that you can do that that uh, kind of protects you from inadvertently starting to do too much is to demonstrate that through questions, yes. um, to demonstrate that through inquiry rather than through direction. So there are times that, you know, rather than doing something, maybe you ask insightful questions or um, lead the conversation with your doers in a way that demonstrates that you get the difficult questions or you get the opportunities that they're trying to make the most of, et cetera, even though you haven't actually gotten your hands dirty. Um, that's an important thing in our repertoire because if you're a leader, asking questions has a great way of empowering other people. Um, when we are directing, um, it doesn't always take their power away, but we can often overstep and start doing that without realizing it because, frankly, most of us have a doer in us that really enjoys that, and we don't right. notice that we've overstepped. In fact, we're feeling pretty good at our opportunity to do some doing. 
So for our uh, podcast audience, a lot of us are doers on Sunday or leaders on Sunday. We, we execute Sunday experiences. So uh, sure. I think a practical um, way to implement this on a Sunday um, that I had to learn the hard way is, uh, for instance, let's say we do one experience and we meet between services or we meet after a run-through to figure out what needs to be fixed for the actual service. So, uh, and I would, I would have the instinctive, um, I I would come in instinctively and just start rattling off a list of, Hey guys, we need to fix this, 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 and this. Um, but what I had to realize is if I came in and said, what, what do you guys think? Um, is there anything that you guys would, would tweak? Um, you know, what, 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 what's your opinion and, and, and start asking them theirs. Most of my list took care of itself and then it provided them with ownership because they could explain, um, okay, here's here's what I'd like to tweak, and I could mark that off my list secretly, and not even have to be the directive. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, totally. That's a, that's a great example. That's a, that's a good model for all sorts of folks. I mean, I think I think the issue is that when we step into leadership, we're not necessarily needing to prove anything anymore, and mm-hmm. so often. Um, yeah. You know, when you were a doer, you can remember those moments where you had to had to stay late or step up and do something over and above. You know, you had to do something downright heroic on behalf of the team. And at the time, it might have even been been really difficult or taken a lot out of you. But as you look back, it's sort of become one of your I don't know one of your trophies, your own badge of honor that you you could do it and that you did whatever it took. I try to remind leaders that those moments still exist. It's just when you're a leader, they're no longer your moments. They're your team's moments. Right. And if you step in and do that, or if you're too directive saying, do this, do that, do this, you're inadvertently taking their opportunity to be the hero. Um, If you simply slow your role, and I think your example is perfect, if you ask them, often they already knew these things, but they have the opportunity to say it rather than having that masked by your own competence and your own knowledge. So when you're a leader, it's really not about showing your own knowledge and your own ability and insight. It's about creating that same level or or even greater level of knowledge and insight, et cetera, in your team members and giving them opportunities to display it. And that's just a big shift for a lot of us when we step into leadership and we're we still have a doer's heart, especially in the world that you're talking about. You know, I would bet that very few people that listen to this uh, podcast have the luxury of being either a doer or a leader. They're like a, a strange combination of both. They're sort of like player coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the way it is most of the time. I don't want to suggest that this is a clean line, but what I've found is that if you don't at least conceptualize these roles differently, you end up frustrating or confusing your your team. You've got to at least understand the hats you wear in very different ways. Even though, like I know most most of the people on a on a production team for Sunday are going to be doing as well as leading. I, man, I, that's so good, and I think you 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 put it so well. And I think sometimes as leaders, we have to almost take a, a humility pill a little bit to say. My my uh, closet, my shelf of trophies are are already there. How can I help my team earn their trophies? How how can yeah. I help them, um, you know, put some trophies on their shelf, get some victories for for them? And sometimes that's a pride thing. I'm sure. I mean, it's it's been for me that like I I've still got it. I can I can get in <laughs> yeah. there and 
and do it. Um, but but I'm still in the joy. I'm still in the trophy. I'm still in the victory away from from other people. Sometimes when I do, yeah. That. Well, and it's you know honestly, it's kind of insidious too because you really you don't see it coming, but it's unconscious. And I work with leaders all the time that um, inadvertently are creating a dependency in their team because you know when you're really successful yes. as a good leader. What you find is that your team members aren't depending on you for the answer. They're coming up is. with the answer. They're not depending on you for direction. They they figured it out on their own. They're not they're not even necessarily depending you on on you for vision because they get this. They believe and they're creating a vision too. And when that starts happening, if you haven't kind of exorcised some of that latent doer stuff in you as a leader, you start just sensing that and feeling kind of vulnerable and unnecessary. And what you do is you start doing things to make yourself more necessary, and that's just code for creating dependency and limitations on your team. This happens all the time. It's just a perfectly normal but really unproductive thing that will shut down sort of the joy and opportunity in a creative team. That's good, man. So good. This has been an all-access interview from 1230 Media. For more interviews, training, and exclusive content for your production team, visit 1230.media slash training. Hey guys, I want to tell you about a great new book from my new friend, Dr. Andrew Johnston. There are countless books available to help you become more creative. This book helps you become a better leader. Dr. Johnston correlates the elements of making fire with the key aspects of leading a team in his new book, Fired Up, Kindling and Keeping the Spark in Creative Teams. Now, this isn't just another leadership book. This is a leadership book directly targeted at helping you lead a creative team. Fired Up will soon become your go-to guide as you transform your team into a powerful creative force, reaching new and exciting levels of success. From what began as a conversation with a friend and manifested itself around the fire pit in his backyard, Dr. Johnston uses the key components of fire to help us get our teams fired up to be more creative. You can pick up the book today at saltcommunity.com forward slash fired up. That's saltcommunity.com forward slash fired up. Be sure to pick up Andrew's book today and to find that along with show notes, transcripts, and more resources for your team, visit thechurchmediapodcast.com forward slash 135. We'll get you to this episode directly for all those links and resources. That's thechurchmediapodcast.com forward slash 135. On the next Church Media Podcast. Next week on the show, we'll wrap up my discussion with Andrew about leading creative teams. We saved the best for last. You'll want to check it out. Our podcast is a production of the Ministry of 1230 Media. The producer of our show is the unstoppable David Michael Hyde. And thank you for listening this week. Go out there, guys. Create some incredible worship experiences this weekend. I'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Church Media Podcast. Please take a minute today to rate and review the show in iTunes. For show notes, archive episodes, and more free resources for your team, visit thechurchmediapodcast.com. We'll catch you right here next week for another episode of the Church Media Podcast. 